It was May of 2008, and I remember that uh, Claude Nikondeja, our man on the ground here in Burundi, we had just met, and we were at a, a conference in Kigali, Rwanda, and he said, you wanna to come to Burundi and see what's going on there? And my daughter, Sarah, David, his wife, and myself, uh, we went with Claude. I still remember at that day in 2008 in Kigali, where we decided to go down to Burundi and we jumped on a bus. 14 hours later, we are in Bujumbura, the capital city of Burundi. And, um, and then we said, you know, let's go further and visit Abatwa families. And, you know, as a Burundian, I felt ashamed that I never met any Twa, any Batwa person. I, I was born here, raised here. I heard about their stories, but never been interested to see them or to, to have friends with them. So as a, as a sign of friendship with my new friends from Houston, we went to Bubanza. When we got there, there was a, a group of people that were um, just living kind of in the dust, but they started dancing. The dust started rising up. Their kids had the little bloated tummies and, and, and you could see they were very malnourished. And we met this amazing man right here. Now in Kirundi, you know, the, the way you get to know somebody is by asking his name because the, the name tells you who this person is. So I translated as, I asked a new friend, what's your name? And he said, Nazina. And to me, that spoke volume about his story. When he was born, his parents didn't want to spend one minute figuring out how to call him. Because either he's gonna die before he's five, if he survive, no one will care what his name was. So they called him no name, Nazina. And I remember the chief here telling me, he said, God has forgotten us. The world has forgotten us. And we're the forgotten people. And I remember sharing with him from the book of Isaiah where it said that God has written your name in the palms of his hands and I said our great God has not forgotten you and there's a church in Cyprus, Texas that's not going to forget you either. One of the things that was most heartbreaking when we first met the Batwa was learning that only two out of 10 children survived to age five. We knew right away that we wanted to do something about that. So pretty soon, as we built the school there in Bubanza, we 
uh, dreamed of building a clinic as well, where the children could receive health care, where their families could get health care. And I'm excited today to introduce you to Lydia. She heads up uh, the health care in Bubanza and everything that's going on there. Um, I want you to hear her story about her first trip to Bubanza and when she started working among the Batwa people. tugitangura gukorera ibubanza twasanze abanyagihugu bamerewe nabi abantu bihebuye ivyo rero byatumwa nuko baguma bapfisha abana abana bapfa kubera yuko abavyeyi babo babo bakenye batagira ubujyo gukubatwara kwa muganga Donc, nous sommes tous les deux les Ubrero, Community of faith pray for us in many, many ways. But one of the ways that God answers prayer is by putting the team together. And every every team member is a sent is sent from God. We are with Bernice. She's the head of uh, our education department. Bernice first came out of university. She studied uh, psychology, clinic psychology. So we hired her because we knew our, our children and their parents, they needed somebody to help them face the challenges of life. She went to Bubanza, like you would go to your job, not knowing what awaits her there. But once she got there, she took residence in a, in a, in a teacher's home and the expectation was for her to go there on Monday morning and come home on Friday, one o'clock, like every other teacher. But Bernice was not the regular teacher. She went there and she realized that this is not gonna be a regular job. This is gonna be her calling. And she literally moved there. And I remember, still remember the first time I found out that Bernice don't go home 
on Friday, one o'clock, like everybody else. I was shocked and mad. I was like, this is dangerous for her, obviously, but for us as an organization as well. So I followed it up. And when I asked her, she said, Saturday and Sunday are the best part to be with the families. These are the time that they are calm, that I can visit them, I can share with them in their sorrows and in their dreams. And I was blown away. And I was like, we just got our first missionary. He's right here in our own country. And she's been that way. You go to that school, we have 350 kids. She knows every one of them. The name, the parents, the house where they live. She knows, she has created associations. She, she knows everybody. This is 3,000 family community. Who does that? We certainly don't expect her to do that. But this is her heart. So thank you, Community of Faith, for praying for us because your prayers have been answered in many, many ways, and this is one of them. Je Je suis un peu plus de 
kugira abana babatwa nabo bahize amashure bivanye n'ubukene bakajamwe ababirose bakabakiba bico bikiriho barafise umwanya wo kugisha abana what i love is that 3 years ago when we were here the elders of the Batwa tribe changed his name from no name to Visigero, which means hope. So now he's Chief Hope, and I love that. because it's, it's like a completely different place, a green place, a place full of laughter and joy and singing and food before they dance so that they can forget how hungry they are. Today they dance because they are grateful to how much God has done for them. I believe that this church building is a symbol that what God has done here in Matara, what God has done in Bubanza, He wants to do and will do for the rest of the Batwa. There are Batwa deep in the Congo that no one has reached. And even though, even now, it's not a convenient time, God is calling us to reach them. But it will cost us, not only financially, it will cost some of us in this room our very lives to get there, to reach them. But the promise is not just for us and for our children. The promise is for them and for their children. As well as the Hutu and the Tutsi that have not been reached. God has a good plan.
Well, what a privilege it is to walk in friendship with this man, and I've seen great leadership from him. And we will continue to pray for Visigero and for the Batwa people there in Bubanza. so proud of you, community of faith, and how you have allowed God to use you. We're so glad to be back with you, but we had to come back and share with you the story of what's happened. This shirt here, too, was made by the students at the trade school. They said that it was the biggest shirt they ever made. <laughs> and, and you think I'm kidding, but take Literally. a look at me with Francois, my good friend and one of the elders <laughs> of the Batwa. Yep. They said three of us could fit in that thing. <laughs> you know, while we were there, uh, what, my friend Melissa Lassiter that went on the trip with us, as she looked around at all of the lush landscape, as she looked at all the crops that they were growing in different places, as she looked at the school that, where the kids were going and they were feeding those hundreds and hundreds of kids a day and all the thousands of meals per week that they were giving out, as she looked at the trade school and all that they were doing and, and then the new trade school that we were opening in a whole other part of uh, Burundi, as she looked at, at the microfinance bank with 30,000 clients and just all of the many things that were going on, the, the clinic that had made such a difference during the malaria outbreak where no one had died, when people all around were dying and uh, the new hospital that's being built. And she, she said, Mark, who are the other organizations and churches that are involved here with, uh, with the Batwa with us? And at first I was confused and then I realized what she's asking and I said, just community of faith. And she kind of had her jaw drop and then in my mind I thought, oh my gosh God, <laughs> this is amazing. What you have done through one church. One church that said we won't forget and didn't forget I mean, to me, that's what church is supposed to be. That's what church is all about. And we've learned some principles about, about how to help. We want to talk a little bit about how this has happened and how this has come about. And I want you to hear a little bit of this, understand how Community of Faith is doing work around the globe. I think Community of Faith does things a little bit differently than maybe traditionally has been done by the church around the world. And it's because Mark and I learned some principles early on as we served as missionaries in Mexico and, and learned some things that have made a difference in the way that you have done things around the globe. And I want to share a little bit about that with you this morning. Dr. Robert Lupton, who's an economic and charitable relief expert, he wrote the book Toxic Charity. If you've never read that, I would recommend it to you. But he says this. During the four decades prior to the devastating earthquake of January 2010, 8.3 billion in foreign aid flowed into Haiti. Yet the country ended up 25% poorer than before the aid began. Did you know that? One Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan leader said, you fly to our poverty-stricken villages, hearts full of pity and suitcases bulging with giveaway goods, but you are only turning my people 
into beggars. One trillion in charitable aid has flowed into Africa over the past 50 years, intended to save lives, to cure diseases, to bolster struggling economies and stimulate productivity. These streams of charity flowing in from prosperous nations around the globe have produced the opposite effect. I want you to think about that for a minute. There are so many things that we do because they make us feel good and they make us feel better in the moment. But is it really helping the people that we try to help? That's the thing that Community of Faith has taken a look at and decided it needs to be done differently. We don't want to go and pour these resources on people and end up hurting the very people that we're trying to help. Think about this. Which of the following would help you more? Those who believe they know quick answers to all your problems are those that believe you have something to offer and you can figure it out. You know the answer, right? Which one of the following would make you more likely to want to change? Someone who thought they were smarter than you or someone who treated you as an equal? Which of the following helps you more? Being told how to fix something or being listened to as you struggle? When you want to talk about a deep, terrible heartache, which feels more helpful? Someone who says, I know exactly how you feel. Or someone who says, I can't imagine what you're going through. Tell me about it. When you've lost everything in a flood, which would help more? Receiving a load of chocolate and toys? Or someone visiting, helping clean up and ascertaining your specific needs? Now, we all know, right? But somehow when we go to work in these other countries where poverty is, is a huge part of their economic cycle, we forget those things. And we go in wanting to make ourselves feel better and pour resources on them, and it's not the most helpful way. And that's why communities, Community of Faith has done it differently. And we've seen, like you just saw in that video, a huge result of that process. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He commands us to do it the way he did, and Jesus knew some things about love, right? He knew that loving is complicated. It's complicated. It was complicated for him to love us, right? I mean, he had to actually come to this planet, break into time and space, and spend 33 years here with us so we could finally get a tiny glimpse of what it meant to know him what it meant to be loved. We have to recognize that love is complicated when we work in these places around the world. Across the years, our theme at Community of Faith has been Micah 6-8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? In order to do justice and love mercy, we have to walk humbly with God. Humility is a huge part of what we do at Community of Faith around the globe. And sadly, that can't be said of the church across the years. We go in thinking we have all the answers and we know everything. But we see God work when we walk in humility. Only as we spend time with God will we be able to have his wisdom in dealing with the complicated nature of what it means to love and to serve. And as we serve him, we begin to see what that means. He does the same thing with everybody else. He brings changes to these other parts of the world just like he did with us. It's as we walk with him that change takes place. There are no simplistic answers. That's something we've learned across the years. 
we want there to be, right? We want it to be simple, but it just isn't. And we're not called to help people. We're called to follow Jesus. And that sounds a little funny, right? Because we think we're called to help people, but God calls us to follow him. And it's as we follow him and as we serve him that we find ourselves helping other people. But the call is to follow him. That's what he wants us to do. And as we do that, we begin to make a change and an impression on people on the journey with us. You know, when I first found the Batwa with Claude, I saw this people, they were making $100 a year. The women would uh, make these pots and it would take them three days. They would fire them in the, in the furnace. They would walk two hours into town from their little dust heap of a home. And they would sell that pot for 25 cents. The men would go into town the two hours to walk in. They would work all day. And because they weren't uh, registered with the government and they had no legal recourse, many times the people wouldn't pay them. When I got there, they hadn't eaten in, in two weeks. The whole group of them, thousands of them that were on the top of this dusty hill. And I saw a broken people. But there's something that we have to realize in order to work together, we are all broken people, just in different ways. And that changes everything. Because when you think that we're called to help a broken people, then it's kind of a slanted down thing. When you realize we're all in this together as broken people. One of my biggest fears was as we began to work with the Batwa and we began to see things turn around, that they would turn into middle class Americans because we're a mess, aren't we? And we just are. Our marriages are in trouble, mental health issues, all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, everybody clamoring for their rights and all the stress that we feel. And I, I was praying, God, please don't let them turn into us. And God's done this amazing thing as we've walked in friendship with them, as we've depended on them and looked to them for the answers. From the very beginning as we got the chief and the elders together and said, we want to walk in business and friendship with you. What do you need? We've seen them become so much more than us. I mean, now that they are having the businesses and they're employing the Hutu and Tutsis, the other tribes that didn't even see them as people, they called them dogs. They said Batwa children can't learn, but it was only because they were starving and they couldn't think. And now the little Batwa kids are, are at the, the top of their class in so many of the schools around. And we see God just doing this amazing thing, but we would have taken revenge on our enemies, the ones that held us down for so long, and they're just gracious. They share everything. I mean, even... When I was first there, and I knew it wasn't sustainable, I had $500 in my pocket in 2008 when we got there, and I thought, you know what, I, I can't walk away with this $2,000, I mean, with this $500 in my pocket, and, and so I, I told Claude, I said, what can I do, because they haven't eaten in two weeks, he said, give it to the chief, and he'll share it with everybody, he said, those thousands of people will probably eat for at least a couple of weeks, maybe longer, on $500, and I was stunned. And I gave it to the chief and I remember him holding up and said, we have $500 we're going to eat. And I thought, in America with politicians today, especially in Mexico where I'd been, if I'd given $500 to the mayor, they would have held up $100 and go, we got $100, right? Because they kept the $400 back for themselves. And now they share everything. 
Not one of them gets a little plantain without trying to divide it up and share it. And they've done the same with the other tribes around them. It's this amazing thing to see. See, the, the truth is we've got to discern what the situation calls for. There are three things that we can do. One is relief. Relief happens after a, a typhoon or a hurricane or an earthquake. It's the immediately going in and digging them out, helping them with the resources they need in the immediate moment, the water and the things like that. Relief is the next thing. And that comes right after, I mean, rehabilitation is the next thing. That comes right after relief. And that's working together toward recovery. But then there's development. And that's empowering each of us to grow toward God. And development is what's needed most of the time. It's even what's needed here locally. You know, when you stop on the street corner and you see the person begging and you give them that $5 and they go buy whiskey with it, how much did that help? That's relief. It takes more than that. It takes saying, I need to know you and understand your story and understand where you are. A little gal and her baby lived with Laura and I for a few months and she had been begging under a bridge. Then she finally went to our, our uh, place that we support here for women with children that are homeless, uh, Casa de Yahweh, and um, she turned her life around. We saw that, but it was complicated and it was involved. And there were so many things, it was so much more than just handing money on the street that makes us feel better but it doesn't change the situation I uh, heard a parable some time ago that really helps explain how Americans so many times try to do charity it's a story of the monkey who was caught in a big typhoon and he found a little a uh, little island of land dry land in the middle of that typhoon and the storm's raging around him and he looks over and he sees a fish struggling to go upstream uh, against the, the huge typhoon and he sees the fish is in trouble, he's struggling. So the monkey has compassion. He finds a limb that leans out over and at great, at great danger to himself, he climbs out there and he scoops up the fish and he puts the fish down on dry land beside him and obviously the fish is so excited to be rescued. It's flopping everywhere until... It just begins to just rest peacefully knowing that it's saved. And the monkey feels so good that he saved a fellow creature. Now really, did that help the fish? No. And sometimes we could do an African friend. He said, doing charity with you Americans is kind of like a mouse dancing with an elephant. He said, if you imagine that elephant says, let's have a great party. And our African friends love to tell stories. And he says, let's imagine that, that the elephant said, let's have a party. And so there was great music and dancing. And elephant was the greatest, most exuberant dancer of all. And when he got through, he says, mouse, wasn't that an amazing party? And he looks down and mouse is crushed in the ground. He said, that's what it feels like sometimes, dancing with you Americans. How does an elephant and a mouse dance together? How do they? Very carefully. It's going to have to be thought out. It's going to have to be put together. And what we begin with, we begin with who they are, not their needs. Every time you begin with needs, you've missed the point. Because that puts us on a slanted thing. Every person has something to offer. Every 
tribe. Even the Ba Americans, there's the Batwa and the Bahutus, and they started calling us the Ba Americans, the people of America. And they said, every person, every tribe has something to offer. We have something to show. Who are we and what has God given us to give to the world? And when you start with that, you see that each individual, each community has been blessed with a host of gifts. It's not what's wrong with you and how can I fix you, but what gifts do you have? And working with the poor is messy and it's complicated and there are no simplistic answers just like there aren't simplistic answers to our life. That's why I love community of faith. We don't sit around and just say, have more faith or some kind of little, it's all gonna work out, you know, those kind of things. We walk together and it makes all the difference. Churches are in disrepair all over Africa. And when asked, if you ask the, the tribe that's there, they say, when you say, your, your village looks so nice, but the church is falling apart. What's the deal with that? And they say, that's not my church. It was built by the Americans. The Americans have, that own that church. Because in Africa, if you build it, you own it. And Matara, walking with us in business and friendship, the Batwa said, We've seen God in you and we want that. And they've stepped into a relationship with God. I baptized 32 of them in the dirtiest water you've ever seen. Claude was uh, really scared for me. He said, um, I don't know what you came out of that water with, but we'll be praying for you. <clears throat> and I can tell you what I came out of the water with for one thing was joy. We'll see over the next few weeks what else. But it was, it was amazing. And they're stepping into this journey with God because they've seen God in you in us and they built they made with their own hands a hundred thousand bricks and built their own church they said because we've seen the power of what a church can do from community of faith and we want to continue that legacy and I love that you know they've seen God in you and us and the teams that have gone but I want you to know that you can see God in them. I wish you could all go. I wish you could all experience it because as much as we tell you and as many pictures and video as we show you, until you're there in person, you can't really understand. I remember one day as we were dancing, we danced the whole time that we were there and was dancing with this little Batwa woman. She was older and probably four foot something and just looking at her face and the joy shining there on her and I, that was my thought to myself is I am looking at Jesus. I am looking at the face of Jesus and I wish you could all experience that. It's amazing to see what's happened in these years and um, one of the things that, that I've thought repeatedly um, over the years is that I've learned more from them than they ever have from us, that I need them more than they need us. We were working together one day. Um, we had the little clinic in Bubanza treating the school families and children, and the, the people there decided that they needed more than that. Show some pictures of that. That they were... They needed a bigger clinic, they needed a hospital, they needed a place that could treat all the children of the village, not just those at the school, and not just the Batwa, but the Hutus and the Tutsis uh, that live around them as well. And, and we got there that day, they were pouring the, the floors in the hospital buildings, and they had this line set up, passing concrete in these buckets up to the building to pour the floor, and it was just incredible to see 
this community come together and work together to make something happen and to make it happen for the people around them so that they could share the love of Christ with them so that everyone else could have what they now have, that they could get medical care. It's going to be named the Strong Start Health Center, and that's the point of it, to give a strong start to children. It'll serve as a pediatric clinic, but also serve mothers uh, during labor and delivery and pregnancy for the first thousand days. So from the time a woman knows she's pregnant until the child is two years old, because those are the critical years as the brain is developing and growing and they want to provide that start for the children. So it's so exciting to see what God continues to do in that place. And I was reminded of something I read recently by Danielle Strickland. She's with the Salvation Army. And she said this, I now realize that the poor don't need me. They don't need me, but I need them. I need a life that is free from the facade of lukewarm vanilla living. I need to measure something other than the length of the grass on my lawn and the shade of paint on the walls of my suburban home. I need to measure my life in things that actually matter. I need to un-Martha Stewart myself until I can actually <clears throat> feel again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Until I can admit my own weakness and laugh at it. My need for control. Until I can see others for who they really are and stop judging them on what they are wearing or their latest highlights. I need them. It's been, it's been amazing to walk with the Batwa and to see what God has done. And, and in Burundi, you started in 2012, you started a microfinance bank that's become even more than that as we funded that. Now there are 30,000 clients. Claude told me they give out $350,000 in loans a month. It's incredible what's happening. And he said, I have a dream. I have a dream that uh, one day Burundi, the poorest country on the planet, will give back to community of faith millions of dollars to give out around the globe to do the same thing that's happened here all over the world. I love that. I think that's, I think that's worth clapping for. The mayor of Bujumbura was there as we opened a new uh, one of the, the new centers, there's about seven of them around now all over uh, Bujumbura, the giant capital city of Burundi as we, we cut the ribbon for that. And he went on and on and on and on and, and, and talking about what, what's happened there and the difference that it's made. Well, a little boy wanted to meet God. So he packed his little suitcase of his favorite stuff, Twinkies and root beer. And he took off from home and he'd only gone a couple of blocks and he came to a park and he saw an old lady sitting alone on a bench. She looked very lonely. And he went up and he sat beside her and she smiled at him, a beautiful smile. And so he pulled out a Twinkie and handed it to her. She smiled even bigger. And then he pulled out a root beer, handed her a root beer. They sat all afternoon, late into the day, never saying a word, just watching the pigeons eating Twinkies and root beer. And when the, the little boy got home, he, well, he turned around to go home. And, and as he was leaving, he stopped after about 10 steps and ran back and hugged the old lady. And she just beamed the most beautiful smile he had ever seen. He got home and his mom could tell he was happy. And she said, where have you been? And he said, I spent the afternoon in the park with God eating Twinkies. 
And he, has, and she, he said, I didn't realize it, but God, God has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. The old lady got home and her son realized that she had a big smile on her face and he hadn't seen that in a long time. And he said, where have you been? And she said, I spent the afternoon in the park drinking root beer with God. He's a lot younger than I thought he would be. <laughs> Let me tell you something about God. He's a lot shorter than I thought he would be. A lot smaller as we're working with the little Batois who used to be called the pygmies, probably the most discriminated people on the face of the earth. And yet in them, we see the face of God and God has taught us so much. As they have blossomed and grown and in business, they've started all these, these enterprises and they're hiring the Hutus and the Tutsis who discriminated against them and they're loving on them. And they started a church and they invited all of the neighboring tribes in few years ago they made judges on each of the big mountains and all of the Hutus and Tutsis said we don't want any of us to be judges because we only care about ourselves make the Batwa the judges on every mountain when just a few years before they had not even seen them as people and we see God in action and what I love about you community of faith it's been through your sacrificial giving that we've seen this happen. I mean, we've poured some millions of dollars into Burundi and we've seen it explode and grow and become so much more through the ingenuity of the Batwa and the Burundians and in all the things that they're doing as it continues to circulate there and grow and we see God in action in so many ways. But it's just a peek at what one church can be. Dwight Moody one of the preachers of yesteryear, some 150 years ago, he said, the world has yet to see what God can do with one life totally, completely sold out, committed to him. And I would add to that, the world has yet to see what God can do with one church. Because God, when he said, kingdom come, will be done, he's talking to us, the church. God has yet to see what can be done with one church totally committed soul out to him and my prayer is that we would show the world that because that's what church is about we've got a little peek at the future I can't wait to see what God's going to do God's going to open up opportunities you can feel as he's lining up the universe behind us this is what we were all about from the very beginning when we built that orphanage before we ever built a building. This is what we're going to be about all the way through. And it's going to cost us. And it's going to cost some of us our very lives as he calls us to go. And be a part of it. Just like I told the Batwa people in their service. But this is what we were intended to be. And I love it. Would you close your eyes with me?